Servus and greetings from Vienna. My name is Anita Posch. Thank you for listening to Bitcoin und Co., my podcast that's introducing the philosophy, ideas and people behind Bitcoin. You will find additional information and links that are mentioned in this episode in the episode description on the website bitcoincopodcast.com or in your podcast player. I would like to hear from you, so you either leave a comment or you will also find a link to send me a voice message. For weekly updates, subscribe to my newsletter at anitaposch.com slash newsletter. Before we start, a short message from my sponsors. Do you want to keep your Bitcoin safe long term? The Card Wallet is the best cold storage solution a retail customer can get. It's easy to use and completely offline. No hassles with updates, passwords or hacks. I gave one to friends as a wedding gift. They are Bitcoin newbies, but with the card wallet, even they can hodl Bitcoin securely. And the best thing is, my friends at cardwallet.com made a special offer for all the listeners of my podcast. If you go to www.cardwallet.com forward slash Anita, you'll get 20% off the price. So go to www cardwallet.com forward slash A-N-I-T-A and buy a card wallet with a 20% discount. Hello and welcome to this live discussion here on the rooftop of Stadler Völker Attorneys at Law in Vienna, in the center of Vienna with a beautiful view, but we also have maybe a thunderstorm coming. Today's topic is anti-money laundering and cryptocurrencies with a focus on Austria and the European Union. I welcome you all and I want to begin with Brian. I will introduce everybody and Brian Holman is a counsel at Stadler and Volker Attorneys at Law and he organized this uh, panel discussion. Thank you. Brian's areas of practice are capital markets, U.S. securities law, corporate and company law, and fintech companies and cryptocurrencies. Thanks, Brian. Thanks. Then we have Uwe Trummer, key account manager at Unix Identity AG, a subsidiary of the Austrian state printing house. Unix builds systems that allow to establish people's identity based on video identification and to secure digital identities, which enables authorities to prevent abuse. Hello, Uwe. Thanks for your time. Thank you. To my left, I welcome Oleksii Fischenko. He's an anti-money laundering advisor in the Global Program Against Money Laundering at the United Nations Office on Drugs and Crime in Vienna. And since 2016, Oleksii leads a project on cryptocurrencies. This project builds capacities of financial intelligence units, law enforcement and supervisors to investigate cryptocurrencies and reduce risks of money laundering and terrorism financing. Very interesting to talk to you. Welcome, Oleksii. Thank you. And last but not least... To my right is Axel Schuster. He's an advisor at the Family Office and Wealth Management Department of the Capital Bank in Graz. 
The Capital Bank offers personal advisory to clients about professional asset allocation, return and risk optimized portfolio management, as well as a wide range of expertise in tax efficient investments. Welcome, Axel. Hello, Great pleasure to be here. Thank you. That you made the trip from Styria to us. So let's begin again with Brian. Starting the 10th of January in 2020, virtual currency service providers will be subject to the same know-your-customer and anti-money laundering obligations as credit and financial institutions. What does this mean? What is the current state of KYC and AML regulation for virtual currency companies in Austria? Yeah, thanks, Anita, for the question. Um, the current state of KYC and AML obligations in Austria is in a bit of a state of flux. This is for the reason that you mentioned. Um, earlier this month, the Austrian legislature uh, passed a new uh, a law uh, amending the Austrian Anti-Money Laundering Act and implementing the uh, provisions of the Fifth Anti-Money Laundering Directive. This means, as you stated, um, these so-called virtual currency service providers will be subject to the same anti-money laundering, know-your-customer obligations as regulated credit and financial institutions um, in Austria. This means, um, among other things, that these virtual currency companies will have to uh, KYC the customers, they'll have to perform customer due diligence, um, also conduct ongoing monitoring of the business relationship with the customers and of um, specific transactions. They'll have to develop a robust, robust anti-money laundering program. Um, and in cer certain circumstances, they'll have to uh, file suspicious activity reports to the designated anti-money laundering office within Austria. Um, and as you said, these obligations go into effect on the 10th of January, 2020. In addition to this, um, there's a <laughs> new requirement that these virtual currency service providers um, register with the Austrian Financial uh, Market Authority, the FMA. This registration requirement also goes into effect on the 10th of January, 2020, um, but virtual currency service providers will have the opportunity to register with the FMA as early as the 1st of October, uh, 2019, I believe. Um, the penalties for not registering are very high. Um, the FMA is entitled to, to fine unregistered um, crypto companies, essentially, uh, up to 200,000 euros um, for lack of registration. So between now and the 10th of January of next year, it's extremely important that crypto companies in Austria or cryptocurrencies providing services in Austria um, gain compliance with the new anti-money laundering regulations that apply to them and make sure that they're registered with the FMA on time. Okay. Um, does anybody have a follow-up question or something? So, because then... Not a question, just a remark. Since we already provide KYC for existing platforms based in Austria, I think that was already in some cases anyhow suspected that the regulation will be in place. And I think it's, it's also a show that the Austrian financial marketplace is in good shape that we provide such services and also the players in the market are already fulfilling some, maybe not all, but some of those requirements prior to having the law in uh, place. Yeah, I think you're exactly right. Um, even some of our clients made an effort to, to make sure that they're compliant with at least some of the regulations. These new laws 
didn't come necessarily as a surprise. The fifth anti-money laundering directive has been out there for a while, and crypto companies have known kind of what's what's coming. Um, and they've known that the deadline for implementation was likely going to be the 10th of January of next year. Um, what's slightly different than what was expected is that the um, amendments to the, uh, so the national implementation of the fifth any money laundering directive goes slightly beyond the scope of the fifth any money laundering directive, um, namely in its definition of what a virtual currency service provider is. Um, it really, the, the definition that the Austrian legis legislature took was adapted from the FATF, uh, Financial Action Task Force. They published guidelines. Um, and there are additional categories of uh, virtual currency service providers. It's basically a broader category than it was originally envisioned. Yeah, because there I would have a question because I'm not uh, sure what this means actually because it's, like you said, very broad. Uh, it's exchange between one or more forms of virtual currencies. I mean, you are very well aware, I guess, that there are smart contracts, atomic swaps, etc., tools that are like program code. Um, who is the service provider here? Yeah, so there's actually... so. The term virtual currency service provider is a defined term in the in the amended law, and there are basically five categories of um, service provider virtu of virtual currency service providers. Those are one um, custodial wallet providers, so those who are holding the private keys uh, of cryptocurrencies on behalf of of someone else. Two um, service providers um, in the exchange of fiat and virtual currencies, and vice, vice versa. These two, I believe we already knew, um, were going to be in place because it was within the scope of the fifth any money laundering directive. But to go beyond the scope, um, the third category are service providers engaged in services between virtual currencies, between virtual currency to another virtual currency. The fourth category is the transfer of virtual currencies. So if you are involved in providing a service whereby you, uh, on behalf of a third party, transfer virtual currencies from one wallet address to another, this is a virtual currency, you are a virtual currency service provider. Um, and the fifth category is if you're providing financial services in connection with the offer and sale of uh, virtual currencies. So when you hear that, you think if you're providing financial services in connection with ICOs, initial coin offerings, or the, the more new IEO, initial exchange offering. So it's a very broad category. Um, it's a bit more broad than I think we were expecting, but... As an example or a question, what are miners? <laughs> <laughs> Do you think that there will be a specific definition or will miners not be a service provider at all? So I want to avoid getting too much in the weeds because it really is going to depend on um, exactly what the, com the company is doing. So... There might be a distinction if miners are, for example, um, mining on behalf of third parties, on behalf of customers. And mining in Austria, as you may know, is, has other problems um, for other regulatory reasons, the Alternative Investment Fund Managers Directive. Um, but if you're managing on behalf of third parties, then, or if you're mining on behalf of third parties, then I think it's quite likely that you are a virtual currency service provider. If you're not... I, I would have to look at it in more detail. It's a little less clear. Thank you. Uwe, first question to you. 
How can virtual currency companies ensure that they are fulfilling their KYC and ML, AML obligations? It really depends where their base is in the first stage. So where is the company really operating? And then the applicable regulations like the FMA or the BaFin uh, will um, point out which uh, requirements they have to follow, basically. So if we take Austria and the compliance uh, or the law is in, in effect next year, basically, uh, one of the easiest ways is really to use video identification in order to KYC their customers. So it's an easy um, implementation from a technical point. Um, and to be honest, I think since video identification is in the financial industries since four or five years already on the market in Germany, also in Austria, um, also the technical difficulties at the beginning are now more or less solved. So it's an easy, straightforward process of five, six minutes where people have to, yes, provide their ID documents, fulfill more or less the process, the FMA points out, and then it's done, basically. Um, so yes, it's a hassle, it's a burden, but at the end of the day, I think it's a good thing that crypto, the crypto space is moving in the, in the area of a financial industry as a whole, basically. Axel? question regarding KYC and identification because KYC the identification of a client where you you provide solutions is just one part of KYC so if you, if you have identified the client you don't know, know him you just know who he is but you have to gather information about the client's life and the source of funds and all this stuff so the identification itself is just just a pretty small part of the KYC process and the AML afterwards. That's true, but at the end of the day, I think AML is done internally or has to be done internally in the company uh, itself. Anyhow, I think to outsource that, it's not mm. so easy to, mm -hmm. to uh, achieve and also get approval from the FMA. The first part to really identify the customer to know where it's uh, from and who the person mm. is, um, I think that's solved, and their yes. companies like us can provide a service. Fully agree. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, it's a first step, but ultimately, in in the crypto scene, not even that is done yeah, in a right. general um, and, approach. And, and I think it's actually important to, to note that performing KYC is actually a bit more difficult or cumbersome as most people would expect, especially for virtual currency companies. You know, if you're if you're a bank or a traditional financial institution, you you do KYC when the customer comes to one of your branches, comes to one of your brick and mortar stores, and you have a conversation with them. Maybe they present you some documents, your uh, their ID. You can you can see them in the flesh, and you can be relatively secure that, that this is the person that you're talking to. When you're dealing with virtual currency companies, a lot of this takes place via the internet. Um, where you're not seeing the customer mm. and um, you have to implement measures to to do it via video. And actually in Austria, the procedure is um, quite strictly regulated. The FMA has a special uh, regulation on video identification, which list, lays out a bunch of steps that, must, that, that should be followed um, in order to conduct a valid uh, identification. Actually, you said video identification of the user is the first step from the side of the virtual currency companies. Do you know which steps they also have to take when they come to you, for instance? We have to separate, because if, if it's a company 
registered in Austria. Mm-hmm. It's just a company like any company. From the company register, we, have, we do have access. We know the people who are authorized to sign for the company. So that's, that's, uh, that's business which is pretty straightforward. Uh, the, the point is uh, the business behind is, is always crucial. So if we do have an industry company, then we do know what those guys are doing. So if we do have cryptocurrencies, crypto companies, then it completely depends on the business model behind. So it can be really, really, really easy, straightforward for us as banks to handle. And it can be really complicated. So it's just a question of the number of transactions, of the source of the clients. Where do they come from? Where are these companies active? In which, in which regions? For which clients? And then it can be complicated like hell pretty straightforward. So it completely depends on the business model behind. But if it's an Austrian company, it's just like a company who can open an account. But we do only open accounts when we know we can handle the business afterwards because we want to satisfy the clients. And if we do know that, that the, business, the business model behind is not, we are not able to handle afterwards, we don't accept an account because we finally cannot help the client afterwards. So we want to have solutions. The clients expect solutions from us. And we only can sell our product if we know that we can satisfy the client afterwards. And then we have to understand the business model behind. What are other challenges you have with virtual currency providers? So maybe a few steps back. Because when, when I got in touch with the community or with the, with the crypto, crypto scene about two years ago, a little bit more than two years ago, the reason why some of those uh, guys uh, got in touch with me is because at this point in time, I've been the only person who is really, was really willing to to at least discuss the topic. So, and any other bank who was who was hearing the the, the, the white the other word Bitcoin or crypto was running away, and, and that's it. So they completely shut down. So we started a complete denial within the banking industry in Austria, and I would say we we now have uh, the status of a healthy skepticism, <laughs> <laughs> and all those those processes that are going on. You said Brian already that it's in a flux. I think uh, in early 2020, when we find ourselves on a level playing field together with, the, with those other companies, then it's easy for us banks to handle because then we do know that they have to adhere to the same procedures, they have to adhere to the same regulations, and then we find ourselves on a level playing field again. And then it's, easy, it's easier for us to handle those guys because for the time being, there are no clear regulations. So I know those guys, most of the people are really, really honest people, but they do not have the FMA in their neck. So, and, and I say welcome in our world uh, in the in early 2020. So there will be some, some, some setbacks for sure. But finally, I've, I consider this to be a, a major and important step where th- those two worlds go together at some point, hopefully, that we do not have to leave this gap, which is currently, currently in place for the time being. So hopefully... We're going to converge. Have you have you seen words. a lot of demand from cryptocurrency companies wanting to open bank accounts, or do you expect that that a demand will increase uh, next year, as you said? We have we are in touch with the major players in in Austria. I would say so. At least we know them, or I know them, uh, and there is demand. But it's 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 not hundreds of companies out there who are active in in, in this field. So um, they are. Currently, they are already looking for, for uh, bank accounts and for uh, contacts to Austrian banks. But as I mentioned, I only accept accounts if I know I can finally satisfy 
mm-hmm. the clients. And, and in some cases, I, I know I, I, I won't be able to do that. Do you feel any pressure from either Austrian regulators or uh, the government or <laughs> inside or outside of Austria to, to not deal with cryptocurrency companies? Yeah, we are subject to, uh, first, we constantly feel pressure from the authorities, so that's what... <laughs> That's, that's standard. Um, and we are subject to uh, enhanced due diligence requirements when we, when, when, when we uh, handle uh, crypto-related businesses mm-hmm. to what extent. So, yes, that is the reason. A circular from the FMA who urges the banks to be especially careful if you handle crypto. So, uh, that's what we do, mm-hmm. finally. Okay, coming to you, Alexi. As far as I understand it, you're investigating and researching on uh, in, in, in cryptocurrencies and uh, looking for money laundering and terrorism finance. What's the actual versus the perceived risk of using virtual currencies to conduct money laundering worldwide in the EU and in Austria? Well, I don't want to scare people, but the risks are significant. We should take them into account. Come on. Uh, if you were in the metro a few weeks ago, you have seen everywhere advertisement of Netflix series, selling drugs online fast. <laughs> it's, uh, it's serious, based on real events, and actually it's German slash Austrian investigation. Like, really a student, really running an enterprise of selling drugs online, uh, 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 if I'm not mistaken, it was approximately one million per month turnover, just one person, and uh, receiving payments, of course not by credit cards, but by cryptocurrency. So it's, uh, so it's, it's already here. But I guess by, with Bitcoin, because he was caught. Oh. Um, uh, yes, uh, it was Bitcoin. And uh, surprisingly, now, I would say, uh, Bitcoin is still a payment of choice, a payment uh, cryptocurrency of choice for criminals. Oh. Uh, so then they are not very clever. No, uh, <laughs> uh, because they are clever. Ah, because, because, for example, uh, yes, obvious idea would be, yes, I will uh, do trade in Monero. Perfectly, uh, fully anonymous, uh, not traceable, great. But when you look at the Manira market, you will see that it's too shallow. Mm-hmm. And because it's too shallow, with uh, just several thousand transactions, you cannot hide much. Maybe you can uh, hide uh, something like small retail businesses. But if you s- try to grow bigger, if you talk about serious money laundering scheme, it's like... Uh, you cannot hide a skyscraper in the middle of Vienna because uh, <laughs> it would be too high. The same with the uh, Monero. Because market is too shallow, criminals, they move to bitcoins. Mm-hmm. And there is another reason. Um, not all criminals are the technical purchase. Most of them, they are criminals. Criminals, they are like businessmen, uh, they are criminal managers. And when, uh, just imagine, uh, they are technical guy is coming to them and saying, oh, yes, I have a fantastic new cryptocurrency, is it cash, whatever, uh, let's switch to this. And then criminal manager says, risks are too high. Let's stick with Bitcoin. We at least understand that the market is uh, significant. Okay, we accept uh, price volatility, but at least we know what we're talking about. We don't, uh, we're not going to take too much risks. Is it really? I mean, if you compare activities to finance terrorism or to to uh, finance drug uh, abuse or whatever, is it really higher in crypto than in US dollar or in euro? I would say, of course, of course, of course. We cannot uh, compare now 
is, is even uh, drug trade uh, in uh, conventional currencies to drug trade in crypto. Uh, the recent uh, Chainalysis report, uh, they estimated uh, last year uh, drug uh, on the drug darknet markets uh, approximately 600 million US dollars per year. Uh, of course, it's not compared to the bulk of drug trade, but it's still here. Uh, but there are some certain uh, areas where uh, cryptocurrencies really dominate. It's exactly about uh, criminal business, especially, especially in Europe, with so-called new psychoactive substances. Uh, the recent uh, European Drug Agency report, especially a report about Austria, it says uh, very straightforward way. There are a lot of uh, post, uh, a lot of shipments of new psychoactive substances from Asia, to Austria, they are uh, going by post and they are ordered online. Again, the answer is how payment is made. Do you maybe have a percentage, like uh, if we say all crypto transactions in the last year, which is the percentage of criminal activities transactions? I would say it's still very hard to estimate. Um, there are several big, uh, let's say, illegal uh, drivers of uh, using crypto. One is the drugs. Again, it, it could be estimated probably around 600, maybe 1 billion. It's not much. Again, crypto hacks have been estimated around 1 billion last year. But globally. But there is one large market. Uh, it's uh, people who need to circumvent currency regulations in their countries. It's like capital flight. We may argue, is it legal, illegal, uh, what is the origin, but still, they need some tool to jump from their country mm -hmm. mostly to the Western financial system. And this, uh, and, uh, I have not seen any reasonable estimate of it. Uh, if we speak about other crime, like, uh, for example, corruption, I would say now it's uh, just, sorry, it makes first steps. But there are already cases where people demanded the officials, demanded bribes in uh, bitcoins. It happened in European Union already. So. Alexei, I want to go back to your, to your point that a lot of the money laundering that's taking place is, is uh, basically being money remittance, money going from, from one jurisdiction to another to mm -hmm. evade capital controls. There was a really interesting article on, I think it was coindesk.com, Maybe you saw it um, about uh, the use of tether to to evade capital restrictions in um, I think it was in China and money was going from Russia to China I think million maybe even millions of dollars worth of tether a day um, to evade the capital controls and oh. so I thought that was quite quite interesting but if I could also add um, I, I also really was really curious about this this question is actual versus perceived risk of, crypt, of of money the threat of money laundering through cryptocurrencies because i feel like cryptocurrencies it's, it's it's an easy target you hear these you know scandalous stories isis uses bitcoin to you know fund their operations but i was doing some empirical research and i saw a figure that really struck me on, on your own website, on the UNODC websites, they estimate, I think, that the amount of money laundering that occurs per year on a global basis is between 2 to 5% of world GDP, which is roughly 800 
billion dollars to two trillion dollars. The total market cap of the entire cryptocurrency universe is less than three hundred billion dollars. So it's really I, I view it as a bit David versus Goliath. I mean to take your side a little bit because I don't I don't want to, to be ganging up on you, but um, I suppose that it's still worthy to think about these issues. If we, you know, I think we all expect cryptocurrencies to gain wide-scale adoption, and the more that the more they're used, the more they could be used for money laundering purposes. And so, this is a good conversation to have now, rather than ten years down the road when it's but much more prevalent. But they also can be used for more positive things. Yes, because, of course. <laughs> I mean, being able to like flee a country or something with your money is actually, I think, an upside, not a downside. Yeah, and I think that's one of the use cases of cryptocurrencies. Venezuela. Yeah, for instance, that Turkey. saves lives there. So it's always a problem. How do you make the distinction, you know? And I guess you have a lot of other tools also in, in uh, chasing down uh, criminal activities, or? Uh, yes, uh, but it's interesting. It's uh, now anti-money laundering investigations all applied to cryptocurrencies. It's at the, say, quite early stage. It's like uh, people, police, uh, financial, they are making the first steps, uh, something works, something doesn't work. And as of now, it's uh, very simple. Um, there, 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 there is either uh, tracing, investigating. For this, you need just blockchain explorer. That's it. Uh, you, you combine it with the normal police intelligence, and that's it. And you cannot uh, do more. Uh, second is uh, uh, when uh, this uh, investigation intelligence uh, okay finally you understand that uh, this account uh, th th this address something bad is happened something bad happens here and then uh, the uh, major task of law enforcement is to find a link with the real world and here comes uh, importance of uh, KYC because uh, at the end of the day it will be uh, law enforcement where they will find one or another service provider most probably it will be either exchange or exchanger and then uh, their task is uh, to come to this company a person and try to get information and uh, here uh, let's say major uh, customer due diligence KYC task from uh, crypto providers will be different from banks from law enforcement perspective, their major uh, obligation is identify clients and keep records and cooperate. That's it. Because honestly, mm, chances uh, that a service provider will detect some suspicious scheme. Mm, there are chances when they are related to the origin of money. But if, uh, for example, bankers, they can see pattern, they can see transactions, they can understand business of client, they see these transfers are suspicious. For crypto, I don't need a service provider to make transfer. Come on. I have uh, my wallet, I have my address, I have my keys, I make transfers by myself. <laughs> Nobody will see them. So uh, here uh, it's a different situation. Uh, law enforcement, uh, they depend, uh, they really depend very much on service providers that they keep records and provide information and cooperate. And uh, uh, we understand that at the first stage, customer due diligence will be, okay, it will be a bit, not, say, not, not so deep <laughs> if we compare to traditional 
customer diligence for bank accounts. I, I, I do not fully agree. At least I do not know honestly, because what I do expect is that uh, in, in maybe in one year from now, two years from now, we had the first checks where service providers are going to have, have their, uh, their diligences by the authorities. And then finally, what I do expect and what, what, what's written in the, in the uh, AML regulation is that they do have to make the same job like banks have to do it right now. So on that, this is what I expect is the authorities. Maybe not everybody uh, fulfills those requirements at the very beginning. But one, the first, once the first penalties are out there and once the first, uh, first reports, negative reports are out there, this is a maturing process, I would say. And so I, I, would, I would think that if, if FMA does their job with those kind of service providers like they do it with banks right now, and nobody's happy with authorities because they hinder you to make business, but finally we need them. Uh, then I think that that those uh, those service providers will make the same job like 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 banks do today. Not as I said, not from the very beginning, but given under the assumption that the authorities uh, are the same, uh, are just as tough as they are with banks, it should be the same level of of, of KYC and AML in all the service providers. Yes, I would say yes. You're absolutely right. It's really the early stage of maturity. Yeah. Uh, it happened, uh, the same happened like uh, 10, 15 years ago with the correspondent banking, with conventional correspondent banking and FITF recommendations. We all remember beautiful uh, Nauru, New Zealand, whatever, banks with bank license for 10,000 per year. Now it's gone. So uh, at the first, at the first uh, uh, stage, normally uh, the major task of supervisors would be Make sure that everybody is compliant, and especially for crypto, is chasing the trespassers. So once there is anyone who offers crypto services without registered at FMA, they should be shut down. Whatever. Then, after this first stage is gone, then there will be exactly more. Probably supervisor will look more deeper into how KYC is done. For example, now regulation would be like, okay, just look at the origin of money, ask standard question, understand business of client, and whatever. Maybe, say, in five years or so, regulator will say, if money are coming from mixer, it should be a red flag. This is what actually happens already right now but, in, I mean, I mean, in companies to, that I know. To also show that the, the business practice right now is already from some service providers on that level of a bank, yes. actually. I mean, they, they do KYC, they, they more or less accept only money wired by bank accounts in their name. So more or less the funds are also from the origin uh, white labeled or, or at least whitelisted, and if a transaction of uh, 800 bitcoins comes in into one wallet, they will have a red flag in their internal systems as well. And as you pointed out, I think all those fintechs, all those platform providers, do have technical analysis tools already in place to see patterns. Um, like it used to be that, that buses of, of foreign people were coming into Vienna, opening up bank accounts in several banks uh, and then drive off uh, away. And, and that's in the digital world easier. I agree. But those type of things were already monitored on the banking level as well. They, they had their internal system seeing a lot of Hungarian people are opening up bank accounts today. 
there's something fishy going on. And the same is in the digital work world easier to apply in those systems. And at the end of the day, we have to more or less give the benefit of the doubt that every service provider wants to do honest business. And that's the, the basic rules. You will always find other people, but they will, will be washed out of the market, either by the regulator or by the business players themselves. As of now, uh, from the global perspective, uh, from the uh, from law enforcement, from investigating perspective, uh, the major risk now is existing of, how would say, how say, black holes, non-cooperative exchanges. Because if you have one, it's enough. <laughs> All black will, uh, transactions will go there, they will break the chain, they will cash in, cash out, and uh, so uh, it will be uh, exactly, probably will be exactly like with correspondent banking, like by putting pressure from FITF on certain jurisdictions to make sure that, say, prominent uh, black holes, uh, mm -hmm. they are closed or forced to cooperate. If it happens, then uh, investigators have more chances. There is another thing what we have seen recently, Uh, is that uh, for uh, cryptocurrency money laundering, it's done, how to say, on at the middle level. You, you will not see, uh, like, huge mm. transactions. It's so easy to, uh, how to say, to, 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 to divide uh, certain amounts into small, reasonable pieces. I would say um, at the level of, uh, say, simplified uh, customer identification, And within this limit, try to, to to cash out. But if I never try to cash out? Uh, well, um, I don't want to, <laughs> to, say, to offend the uh, cryptocurrency community. But uh, now if you want to exist, if you want to buy cars and you want to have uh, ties with the real economy, you have to cash out. It's, it's possible, but uh, most of criminals, they, they need at the end of the day to cash out. But you said uh, Mixer before. Just uh, an example for an individual like me. I'm doing podcasts and I get smaller donations. And most of the time I don't know where they're from. So as soon as I have coins that went through a coin join or a Mixer, then there's a red light. Or That's again a tricky question. Exchanger will go to local bitcoins and they spend some small amount. Criminals are not stupid. They also monitor blockchain and they see, aha, This is a nice, big, fat wallet, and it has been used in some small exchange information here. So they identify this was a e local exchanger. They come to this exchanger, or maybe they have a, a company's financial institution, and they talk, and they do the identification. And then next morning, I have a visit in my house, uh, masked people who politely ask me to transfer all my cryptocurrencies, and they know the amount, to that wallet under the threat of uh, gun or violence. In this situation, if I uh, value my health and my money, I would use Mixer before I do exchanges. Mm -hmm. So uh, it's not uh, so straightforward to say that uh, all Mixers are black. That's exactly the point. Anita, to, to address your, your question about the, the, the donations, you don't really have too much of a problem. You don't need to do KYC of the people who are giving you donations because you're not establishing a business relationship with them and they're probably not in the amounts high enough to, to trigger some kind of... Yet. Yet, yes. <laughs> so far as I, I know, but I could be wrong. Um, but I, I do think this... 
use of Mixer or Tumblr services pr presents a really interesting question because, I mean, when, when do you draw the line? If you're doing customer due diligence and you find out that uh, a customer's cryptocurrencies at some point in time were used uh, in a Tumblr or in a Mixer service, when is, how soon in time is it where you say, this is too risky, I'm not going to, to engage in this? If it's five, 10 years ago, you know, if you're two or three people removed from when this uh, took place, should you be responsible for what happened in the past? We don't treat cash the same way. I mean, who knows if the 10-year-old bill in your wallet was at some point in, in its lifetime used for, for money laundering. Nobody knows. Um, so sh it's, it's a really interesting question. Should we always blacklist or when should we blacklist cryptocurrencies um, that at some point in their life were used in Mixer or Tumblr services when we don't treat cash the same way? It's, 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 an, it's an interesting question. We don't have an answer, I think, yet. Okay. With crypto is interesting. Uh, you look at uh, the normal banking industry and you see that most probably the same, something similar will happen in crypto uh, in several years. Uh, if we look at uh, the big uh, correspondent uh, banking business, especially in the States, and the Office of Currency Controller that uh, is doing checks of their uh, compliance systems. Uh, their checks, it's uh, people who are coming with inspection, but they are in fact mathematicians. And they talk to the mathematicians uh, from the uh, big respondent banks. They just uh, run tests, they compare how good are their criteria of detection in a huge amount of transaction suspicions. And they say, okay, if, uh, say, your algorithm detects more or less, uh, I don't know, 70, 80, whatever is the threshold of transaction that should be suspicious, fine. That's it. So most probably uh, in a few years, uh, cryptocurrency compliance will be like this. There are certain thresholds. If your algorithms are good enough, <coughs> that's it. So, and probably this algorithm, they will have inside how many steps should be between, say, mixer. Again, uh, depends on the risk rate of this uh, particular mixer. Is this black mixer? Mm -hmm. Yeah, the question to me is who gets, to, who gets to decide where to draw the line? The people who are making the algorithms or governments or... Most probably it will be a consensus between uh, mm -hmm. uh, supervisors and uh, industry. I do know from from uh, from one of, of those service providers that they have exactly similar procedures in place. So f finally, th that's what he said: is is that uh, there are good people out there who want to do just want to do their business, and everything they want to do is their, to protect their business. And this is what we banks had to learn. Not all the banks have learned the lesson; some have have had to shut down. But all those service providers who want to be good business people who re really, really, really uh, have a high intention to, to protect their businesses. Therefore, uh, whatever the FMA says and whatever, whatever the regulations uh, that might, might come into place, everything they do, what they strive for is to protect their businesses. And, and that's what, what, I, what I learned because when we, when we had uh, f the first point to, 
together clients we had to handle. So we learned from each other. So we showed uh, the way we do AML and, and, and we do KYC, and they opened their, their gates and, and their, their doors and, and, and showed us how they do that. And I, I see some similarities in terms of the final goal we want to achieve. We want to have healthy businesses. But the instruments we use are completely different, and, and therefore I think that all this, this uh, that, that's what's going to, 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 to come into force in, in the early 2020 uh, will cause some convergence, finally the, the ultimate convergence. And maybe there are some instruments and some, uh, some methods that banks should adopt from those service providers, what they have already in place, score chain and, and call all those, those, those instruments that you, that you can use in order to detect. And I know that if the score is not sufficient enough, they do not accept crypto, bitcoins and co. Thank you, and sorry, I have to stop now. I mean, I'm coming to an end, and it's starting to rain. I would like to ask you a last question, very short, <laughs> okay. everybody of you. Uh, what's your personal statement on virtual currencies uh, for the future? What's your take on that? I think it has a bright future. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll let someone else <laughs> what go. What do you say? There are smart contracts, there are decentralized exchanges, and it's a totally new area. And uh, just looking forward, very interested to see. Thank you. Yeah. Well, what I see, blockchain technology is going to uh, to stay with us for sure, and also cryptocurrencies, and especially uh, the facilitator, the catalyst uh, through Libra, is going to 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 be a major push ahead for the industry. What I think. I also see uh, it will change financial industries as we see it now in the next 10 years totally, and it will be a good thing. So thank you everybody for this uh, interesting discussion. Thank you uh, behind your screens and to the listeners of my podcast, and um, have a nice evening. Thank you. Bye. Thank you so much. That's it for today. Thank you for listening. What did you think of the interview? Did it bring you greater understanding of Bitcoin and its people? If yes, and if you want to support my show, please subscribe to the podcast in your player, leave some stars and share, 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 share on social media. Feel free to contact me on Twitter, LinkedIn and YouTube or send me a voice message via the link on the episode page. Goodbye from Vienna. Auf Wiederhören. Music. Start with Yes, Delicate Beats. Idea, Content and Production, yours truly, Anita Posch.